Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. folks we are back again it's roguenews.com follow us on twitter at real rogue news rogue news on every single podcasting app known to humanity we have with us a man i, I hope he doesn't need an introduction because it's been a while since he's been here it's the one and only alex craner alex is here amazing work and see do we have his uh website pulled up it's uh nakedhedge.com yes we we have his uh sub stack also linked in uh the description with the uh, article as well. So you can catch his work there at the link. Just look at the description. Uh, both are there to his Substack and all that kind of good stuff. That's fantastic. Alex is one of my favorite guests. And we have with us also the incomparable professor at large himself, Matthew Errett. Matthew's here. CJ's working the airwaves. And I'm I'm just, I don't know, sitting here sipping coffee about to learn some exciting news. Alex, you recently been to the Eurasian Summit uh, where you, Sergey Glaziev, a whole bunch of amazing speakers are speaking. I'd love to hear about the audience. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, and we can get into whatever you guys want to talk about uh, this week because, you know, as you noticed, uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, Alex, but um, you, in the United States, democracy works very well. Uh, in, the state, in the great state of Pennsylvania, we elected somebody who was very brave and very courageous. I'm going to show you a picture of him. You might know him. Let me show you what he looks like. He is uh he, he won the state of uh he won the Senate seat in Pennsylvania despite you're all throw, you're gonna throw Fetterman at me, are, are you? I'm not gonna Well, you know, that's one of his names, but I don't think you really know what he looks like. This is what he looks like. That's his that's his actual picture. <laughs> a broccoli, a piece of vegetable. <laughs> wow. Looks like broccoli to me. He's a vegetable. He literally is. He's a man that has no brain. He can barely talk, and the people of Pennsylvania elected him wholeheartedly. So that just well, shows he, me. Uh, unlike you, the people of Pennsylvania are not ableists. Yeah, I, I, I apologize. I am, I am being ableist and maybe a little uh, transphobic at the same time, so I apologize for that, Alex. <laughs> Alex, it's like the uh, the handwriting's on the wall for the West. And a lot of people were talking about a red wave, red wave, red wave, and it didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen, I think things are so ideologically um, solidified between 
the two types of mentalities that are in this country, the two types of political parties and their political leanings. And the West seems to be on this trajectory. You were at a conference where you spoke about solutions, real solutions, and I think the only viable solution for humanity moving forward, and that is the multipolar world. So without me wasting any more time, and also, Matthew, please feel free to uh, chime in and, and, and talk and share your thoughts and ideas about everything that's going on. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Uh, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, thank you all for having me and uh, very happy to join you. And I'm also very happy to share my experience from Baku uh, uh, at, the, at the Caspian Sea. Um, I, was, I was there at the end of uh, August, sorry, October. So that was 27, 28 October. And I was invited to speak at the uh, 15th Verona Eurasian Integrations Conference. That's the that was the official name of the of the of the of the conference. And uh, well, it was my my first time at this event, and I didn't quite know what to expect. And I've never been to Baku, you know, Azerbaijan. And so it was all going to be a little bit exotic for me. And I came back with uh, with really really excellent impressions both of the conference and of the place. Uh, so the conference was uh, an excellent event. I, I, I think that the, um, the thing that surprised me most was the quality uh, and caliber of, uh, of the participants. Uh, I was very encouraged by the fact that there were actually many Westerners there, um, mostly Italian, but there were Americans, Germans, French, one person from Croatia, which was me. And uh, the thing that struck me about the whole event is that there was like an underlying um, sense of optimism kind of in all of it. it it's. You know, it's, it's, it's not like anybody got up there on stage talking about like, hey, this is going to be huge, this is going to be fantastic, everybody, you're going to be tired of winning and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it was just kind of, the optimism was in everything that was being discussed, you know, just like people who are looking forward to the future because they see progress, they see greater prosperity, uh, they see um, economic, social, political development. And this was the subject of all the panels and all the discussions, you know, the challenges that lie ahead. Uh, so uh, it was about building out infrastructure. It was about investing in uh, uh, social and economic growth, about growing food, about uh, new... Uh, monetary standards and new payment systems um a, a high quality discussion about the role of technology in society because this is something that we in the west i think we're particularly inclined to always being infatuated with innovation and technology without really asking the question wait that's all nice but what is it really good for so we always fall for things that have a shelf life of two weeks swallows up billions in investment and is ultimately no good to anybody you know and 
there there was there was a discussion about you know technology has to kind of be reliable and simple and it has to serve a useful purpose to the greater society and so forth and i i, I spoke in the financial uh in the on the panel of uh, for uh uh, financial uh, part and the, the the monetary system and the, the the new payment systems and I kind of chose to spoke about how we in the West ended up in the state of uh, perpetual war and perpetual crises and I traced the you know the causes of this down to our monetary system so I spoke about that. It was well received. Everything went fine. Um, and then I went on the second day of the conference. I went to just kind of sightsee around around the the capital of Azerbaijan, Baku. And I found the beautiful city, very livable, beautiful, clean parks, zero obese people, zero homeless people. I didn't even see any any obvious signs of poverty among the people. Um, lots of very, you know, interesting looking modern architecture, parks, malls, um, cafes full of people, playgrounds full of children. Uh, and everybody kind of chilled out in a good mood, you know, just nice. And I felt very safe walking around Baku randomly, you know, randomly. And uh, it was, you know, the the whole thing was a good experience. I was, uh, I was, I was kind of, uh, you know, this this sense of optimism maybe took me aback the most because, you know, traveling from Western Europe to Azerbaijan, it's it strikes you because it's such contrast with what we're going through, and like we're drowning in gloom and doom and pessimism. Yeah. And we're not looking forward to what the future is bringing. So anyway, you know, long, long thing <laughs> short, I think we're going to all have to sober up, uh, smell the coffee and and join the Eurasian integrations because that's where it's at. You know, that's, yeah. It's a, you know, Vladimir Putin the day before, I think that was Wednesday of the um, 26th, of, of October, he was speaking at the Valdai Forum, and he said that the you know the emerging new world order, the multipolar order, was uh, already taking shape, and that the changes are unstoppable. And I really had that very same sensation from just being in that conference. That you know, it's it's really taking off. It's it's like a it's like a locomotive that's well. Uh, that mo that's moving that's moving forward with a lot of momentum what really struck me in in your um well both in the write-up in your your i guess debriefing for your your viewers on your website on the naked hedgy as well as just reading your actual speech itself um was you were you were saying the the spirit of the conference was really present in the sense that even there was not the type of encouragement that is seen amongst the western sort of summits of the g g7 uh technocratic sort of tribe which is can't really begin any any presentation at any point of an international nature without condemning russia uh over the the developments of ukraine and we're in this particular context which is certainly 
um, full of people who were not who were very critical of U.S. foreign policy. Um, you saw a discouragement of from the criticism from openly criticizing the U.S. to keep a sort of spirit of of yeah. harmony and brotherhood and of openness to cooperation. I thought that was a really striking observation you made that there was yeah yeah because because I I spoke with this guy um, and. He told me, you know, he told me they, you know, like I, I'm going to speak in the in the next panel, but the organizers asked me not to criticize the United States. And uh, yeah, that, that struck me as well, because um, they there was there was no discussion of 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 ideology, of geopolitics, of 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 of, of hostility between the two blocks none of this nonsense it was all really pragmatic concrete real stuff and i i really felt like i spent a weekend outside uh free from the loony asylum that i just left it was very it was very refreshing yeah because you know like in the west all we talk about really is a lot of nonsense yeah like it's childishness we're, yeah, we're talking about climate change. We're talking about uh, LGBTQ rights. We're talking about uh, left versus right. We're talking about, and 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 everybody's walking on eggshells because anything you say is bound to offend somebody. Right. And so every discussion kind of devolves <clears throat> to a lot of nonsense, a lot of self self censorship, and nothing that's well maybe not nothing i there's there's obviously intelligence intelligent discourse going on but you know like in general we're not talking about things that are going to dig us from out of the hole that we're in we're talking about <coughs> kind of pits groups one against the other yeah on whatever basis you know vaccinated versus unvaccinated straight versus gay black versus white left versus right whatever whatever it's coming from all, all sides and nobody's talking about why are we in this crisis shouldn't we be should, shouldn't we be living in prosperity and, yeah. and and comfort should we really be worrying about whether we have to choose this win winter between heating our homes and eating food <laughs> it's incredible alex it really is. You know, the, uh, whenever I hear developments that are happening within the Eurasian zone, within China, within Russia, and all the other countries in between, and I hear these advancements, and I could be talking on a show where we're talking about the madness, the lunacy, the idioticcy, the, the, the childishness of the West, and I always preface when I go into some sort of a news with, uh, with Eurasian, I say this especially with friends like CJ and stuff, I always say, Hey, uh, meanwhile, in the land of adults, meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. in the land of adults, such and yeah, such is being yeah. built, such and such is being done, such and such problem is being solved. We are incapable of it. You know, I was listening to somebody earlier this morning when I woke up at 6 a.m. till about 8 o'clock, was listening to this particular podcast, and there was a, a gentleman uh, who was at one time very popular. He was deplatformed and whatnot. But one of the things that he said was something that I've you know pondered about for for many for many years, excuse me, and that is this generation we've become so um, oh, the, infantilized. We've been like we become like infants, right? And 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 we've we've become so 
um, uh, uh, feminized, for lack, it, it, like an effeminate um, uh, society, in the sense that we are so preoccupied with things, we are busy with things that do not matter. Like if somebody in the, in the West, if a Western leader were to go and 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 before he starts to prattle about on the stage in front of his other peers, he first has to criticize Russia. He first has to criticize China. Then he has to talk about how great you know, the West is and how we're spreading democracy throughout the world. We have nothing to offer the world now but chaos. Chaos and, and, and platitudes and axioms and, and things that don't mean anything like spreading democracy and, 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 uh, and human rights, which means nothing to the yeah. West. It's, it's tragic. And I don't know how the West is going to pull out of this, Alex. I don't know. Well, uh, I think I, I, I think that as as always in history is going to have to uh, be a you know a, a large scale collapse. You know, like the old the old structures, the old you know, like all these all these things that are just like building up uh, by accretion are going to have to go by this by the by the wayside. And I think that slowly people are going to come back to their senses, as it always happens through history. But you know, the thing that the thing that kind of worries me is that you know, because we're not talking about the real problems, because we're not addressing the 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 the, the solutions which are available to us, every day lost promises a bigger crisis that's going to be harder to. Um, harder to come out of. And sometimes these crises brought about by financial collapse can be so severe that, you know, in the, in the, in the 14th century, I think when the, you know, like when the Italian banking system, the Lombard banking system collapsed, yeah. uh, they, it, it was also, you know, like the same symptoms, you know, like nonstop warfare, non-stop crises, yeah. people starving, people not having enough food. And then a year after the, the banking crisis, you had the Black Plague, which wiped out a third of the population in Europe and in some places half. And created the middle class in the process. The, the right. main driver for the, for the birth of the middle class in the West was the Black Plague, surprisingly. Right. right. But... You know, it's this is this monetary system and the banking structures that are built on top of it, which are you know, which are kind of uh, corralling all of the humanity into into um, large scale misallocation of of wealth, of capital, of, of resources. Mm -hmm. um, you know. You can recognize this, but you can recognize it, but what they're doing and what they're not doing, you know, like they're, they're pushing, they're pushing a climate solution, they're pushing cybersecurity state, they're pushing insects, they're pushing vaccinations. Nobody's talking about producing abundant, healthy foods. I mean, foods should be healthy. And why shouldn't we have healthy food since we're capable of producing it? Right. Um, Capital has not been allocated to making sure that, you know, cities and municipalities have clean water. You know, thousands of municipalities in the West have 
pharmaceuticals, lead, uh, aluminum, you know, all kinds of pollutants in their in their water. Yep. Uh, there's millions of homeless people. You know, why why shouldn't that problem be taken care of? Yeah. Yeah. And so. And also, also, you know, we have to since 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 the governments aren't going to help and they're going to keep making things worse. I think that we have to discuss what we have to do. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to think up alternative currencies. Yeah. And people people need to be encouraged to use the land to grow food. Again, healthy foods, because, you know, when the when the financial system ultimately implodes on itself and it will. We have to be ready to have alternatives because, you know, all all that we really need money for is for exchange principally. So we need to have means of exchange because, you know, like one day if, if the cash vanishes, there's no more cash coming out of your ATM and they block your bank account. Uh, well, you still have, you know, useful skills, things you can do for people in your community and you still <coughs> need things from people in your community. You know, maybe you know how to bake bread and maybe your neighbor knows how to fix cars. He needs, he needs bread and you need your car fixed. Well, if you work out how to exchange those services and product, life can go on. But if everybody just waits for the government to dole them out the dollars or the CBDCs or whatever they replace things with, and then the government says like, yeah, right, you're going to get your, you know, monthly social dividend or, you know, social credit, but you have to get yourself injected with this, with this, with this chip. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in a big bind and Correct. you know yeah. people really are going to find themselves in a lot of in a lot of trouble but the period after collapse is going to be very critical and we yeah. have to be sure that we know how to procure food and how to exchange products and services amongst amongst ourselves in the in the in the in the communities yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the thought right now, I think a lot of people have to tune their minds to ways of thinking that they're, they haven't been used to in times that they were led to believe that, um, you know, stability is the norm forever. Don't worry about it. Just just think think about your, your little mini family, your friend network. Just, you know, enjoy your nine to five. Things are going to be just the way it is forever. Don't worry. And uh, <clears throat> that was an illusion. That was that was part that was a symptom, actually, of a, of a drunken stupor that we fell into probably before most people suffering from it actually were even born. So this whole system uh, that was premised around the idea that you could consume without producing, you could just speculate without actually creating anything viable in the real world. That was never designed to be a forever model. It was designed to collapse. So now people are, okay, we're, we're hitting the threshold. Now we have to realize that there's like both two, two components of thinking that we're not used to, but we have to get good at it fast. And one you're alluding to, which is the, short-term survival okay like how do you now adapt in such a way with within a very crazy turbulent period of world history that involves as you just said developing and protecting your physical attributes your, your skill sets capacities and networks that can self-sustain without getting absorbed into some weird bored wet dream of a technocrat's feudal fantasy yeah. right? and on the other hand there's what you talked about at the at the conference and what you experienced which is already being coming online which is the longer term wave the more subtle but important longer term survival wave of, of the species and in your uh, your presentation 
you diagnosed certain uh, elements, fundamental elements of the systemic problems of this of the collapse that we're currently facing in the West and how the uh, the Eurasian nations right now are those embarking or the adults in the room, so to, so to speak, as, as V just said, um, are are treating certain common problems, but with a, a totally different paradigm. And you brought up something to do with both the fatal flaw being uh, fractional reserve banking, fiat currency, uh, as it's been practiced for the past century, at least in, uh, in the United States and, and broader, and also the deflationary gap, which as you, you, you outlined in, in your very brief remarks, but very powerful, I, it was a new way of thinking about it. You cited Carol Quigley. I didn't even know that he had views on this matter, but I was hoping maybe you could say something about what your diagnostics were in a little bit more detail. What is this deflationary gap and how is it being addressed very differently from countries in Eurasia versus the way we have been dealing with this uh, in a self-destructive way from, I, don't, I guess you could say, since World War II? I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, well, so, yeah, this has been, this has been a little bit surprising to me as well because, you know, I, I found the discussion there at the forum very high quality. So as, as, as you mentioned, you know, I don't know if people are aware of who Sergei Glazyev is, but he's one of the, uh, he's a, he's Russian minister of uh, Eurasian integrations and macroeconomics, I believe that's yeah, one of the most brilliant minds in economics. Exactly. And see, and he's also advisor to uh, President Vladimir Putin. And uh, I, I had a very strong impression that everything I was saying to them was familiar, that I was, I was not telling them anything new, you know, but basically, you know, that's powerful. I, yeah, I believe. So. Yeah. I believe that's so. and I'll, and I'll, refreshing. I'll, I'll tell you more about it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of bothered that it's, it, it should have ever been news to me. And I only first heard about this problem, the, the, the deflationary gap when I read Carol Quigley's tragedy and hope, which was 2007, 2008. And I studied economics in, in, in university. And I was the geeks geeks. I, I gradually graduated magna cum laude, you know, like I was, it, it's, it's, not, it's not because I didn't study that I didn't come across this thing. Yeah. It's because it was omitted from the curriculum. Correct. And, you know, I looked, I, I went, when, when I read Carol Quigley, I went back to my textbooks and sure enough, it's not there. And then I looked it up online and I found very close to nothing about it. And so for, okay, so for the benefit of your listeners, I'll, I'll try to explain it in, in simple terms. So first, the background, we have, uh, fiat, we are using today fiat currencies with fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking means that the, the banks create credit and circulate it into the economy which is uh, more than the capital that they have, the, 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 the loss absorbing capital that they have in case, case of any of the, of, the, of the loans that they lend out go bad. So today banks can be up to 30, 33 times leveraged, meaning that the loss absorbing capital that they have on their, in, in, their, in their bank is, uh, only 3% of all the assets on their books, which is, which is pr principally the loans. So the, the problem arises because the, 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 
the money that the banks circulate in the economy is merely the principle. So every dollar, every euro, every yen, every ruble that goes into circulation in each economy represents the principle of the debt that somebody takes on. But they have to pay it back with interest, which means that if 100 units of the currency go out into circulation, well, you know, 105 or 110 need to be repaid, except that those 5 or 10 never enter the circulation. So for the system to be stable, it has to always grow because that, that amount of interest, those extra 5 units or 10 units, uh, they, they come into circulation by somebody else taking out a loan and you having to earn that money off of them to pay back your loan plus interest. So the whole system only works for as long as it grows, but it can never grow indefinitely. You know, nothing grows at 3% per annum every year forever. It's never happened. And that's why this whole system is enormously crisis prone. Okay, so that's the background. So if if, if you'll remember one thing about this, it's that this, the the economic system will be stable with this money with, with this monetary uh, standard only for as long as it grows. When it stops growing, it mathematics mathematical certainty is that it goes into a crisis of recession, depression. That a certain percentage of all the participants, firms, and individuals will go bankrupt, will end up unemployed, will end up homeless and starving, even though there are homes and there is food in the economy. They just won't have access to it. Okay, so let's examine where this comes from. Basically, if you take this economic system and you suppose that it produces a certain amount of goods and services, the cost of producing all these goods and services plus the entrepreneur's profits on the other side represents the incomes of all the people who have produced it and who have provided the materials for for those products so the cost of producing it equals the purchasing power that's available in the economic system to purchase all these goods and services right and so the prices of all these goods and services have to exactly absorb all the purchasing power for the system to be in balance, right? What happens in reality is that people don't like to spend all of their income, right? We all like to withhold an amount of money for later spending for a rainy day for whatever reason. So people always re re uh, withhold part of their income and they, they, they don't spend it. So all the goods and services that go uh, on the market cannot be sold <coughs> at the prices that were, uh, that were planned, let's call it. And so what happens there, then if you, if you leave the system to itself, is that businesses will have to lower the prices for all the products and services to be absorbed and sold. 
well, if they lower the prices, they they might not be profitable anymore. So many of them might not be able to repay their <laughs> their loans. Uh, they might have to cut back production. Some of the businesses might close down. Some of the people might lose jobs, which means that you're gonna you're gonna reduce the purchasing power in the system in the next cycle even further. And people might get even more anxious about the future and save even more money. So the, the it's it's like a self-stoking cycle, self-sustaining cycle that economists kind of colloquially cause called the deflationary death spiral, right? Because the whole system unwinds and it only starts to stabilize at the very minimum of economic activity, right? Uh, it produces the bare necessities. You know? And uh, to prevent this from happening, governments have to step in. And governments have to inject the supplemental purchasing power into the system that will allow the system to grow and for all the products and services to get absorbed to 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 to, to be sold well there are there are other ways of bridging this deflationary gap you can also produce services that never enter uh, into uh, the market you know like you could build pyramids you can you can have space programs you can have military programs and so forth but you know the the basic problem is that because this system is uh the way it is flawed from from the get-go governments have to step in and inject more uh, purchasing power into the system to make it to to prevent it into going from going into a depression okay so as I mentioned, this can be done in many different ways, and the governments can also invest in, you know, better school, better parks, uh, give people better homes. Uh, you know, there's many things. There's there's ways and ways and ways that injecting that extra purchasing power can improve the lives of people. But in the West, this always runs into into ideological opposition because people immediately jump and scream socialism, communism, government has no place in running any kind of a business and uh, this should be, and basically this gets defeated very quickly. Or, you know, like if you choose to, if you choose to build a, a road between, uh, I don't know, New York and Chicago, then people in Miami might complain, why didn't you buy a uh, build a road from, you know, New York to Miami. So there's always this uh, political squabbling over how the state investment is going to be allocated and spent. The one area where people agree much, much easier is defense spending. And you know, you can always defend defense spending. If somebody opposes, you can say like, aha, so you're not for national security. You're not patriotic. You don't like your country. huh?" And so uh, politically, defense spending is much, much easier to uh, to sell to the public. Uh, you can 
you know, produce uh, enemies and threats and convince people that, you know, like if we don't slay this next dragon, it's going to come from your, come for your children and so forth. And so what ends up happening is that you have an increasingly powerful military industrial complex with an increasingly powerful lobby. They're wealthy enough that they can buy up the media and compromise them in a million ways. Uh, and so, like, there's a whole thing that builds upon itself. And the result is that we end up in uh, in permanent wars. And so, you know, you had, the, well, this is an empirical fact, this is not to criticize the, you know, the United States, but it's, it's, it's an empirical fact that between 1946, so after World War II, until today, the United States has initiated, started more than 80% of all wars in the world but alex we're trying to spread democracy alex that's what we're trying to do we're trying yeah. to you know we're trying to make it so that everybody has a chance at the american dream yeah exactly so that's that's but you, you know you're, i know you're joking but it's it, it's a serious thing because it's terrible you know it's it's the thing happens year after year and you know it only you only realize what's going on when you look back and you see it all together because every single war is being sold as as its own package you know like we have yeah. to go to libya because you know um muammar gaddafi is a madman and he's shooting at his own people and we have to <laughs> yeah everybody's a madman except the idiots in washington dc yeah yeah yeah, the yeah murderous yeah. psychopaths in Washington, yeah. D.C., but everybody else is a madman. Yeah, and so, you know, like, every war is being sold to the people as something that's completely justified and necessary and is for the good cause and it's for human rights and for democracy and so on. And so people, you know, even if they're not convinced, they figure, like, well, all right, you know, like, if we're going to, you know, break some eggs to make an omelet, so be it. Uh, and, and you know, like, they, sh they shrug and they let it happen. But the... You know, the, the reality that needs to be explained is why should one nation, how can it be that one nation is behind 80% of all wars? And that, in spite of the fact that, you know, American people always vote for the anti-war candidates, right? It's amazing. And even George W. Bush in 2000 ran on, you know, uh, no more nation building and running a, a humble foreign policy. Right. In 2000, right? Not, not in 2004. <clears throat> and so the, you know, the, the root of the crisis and the root of this permanent warfare state can be traced back to the monetary system. It's, 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 it's in the money system, which is fraudulent, which is uh, rotten to the core, which is extremely pathogenic. It, it literally poisons all the relationships in society, you know, everything. And so for us to get out of this self-destructing spiral that we're in and all the nonsense that, you know, t attaches itself to, to in this crisis we have to it is about this system that is causing it and we have to overcome it we have to transcend it 
it's uh, it's 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 high time because otherwise we we destroy ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I think the fact that you've been able to zero in very, very, in, I was going to say intuitively, but it takes a lot of work. It's not just intuitive. <laughs> uh, to the British hand, um, behind this, the, the, the contours of at least recent history, and when I say recent history, I think we're on the same page. I'm not talking about the last 50 years. I'm, I'm talking about the last 400, 500 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially the role of finance, which a lot of people today are, are being duped, not because they're dumb or something. It's rather because they've been compartmentalized to believe in this false myth that politics can be conceptualized as something separate from economics and banking. And to the degree that you allow your mind to do that, that you can't understand anything causal about any problem, both past or present. So you don't do that. And you were able to zero in very nicely. Uh, but I, I mean, in many of your writings, your speeches, uh, including what you did in, uh, in Azerbaijan, to the city of London and specifically the Bank of England as having sort of created the, the basis for this, uh, this monstrosity that has increasingly taken command of U.S. economic and foreign policy and military policy, which uh, is, is really strong that you do that. Because a lot of people, especially here in Canada where I live, tend to make the mistake that they just have this reflexive reaction that it's the American empire in this overly yeah, yeah, yeah. idea. And it's like, no, the American people are being destroyed, the American government, or the, anything viable within the American government and the American economy has been hollowed out. So it's like, what part of the United States has benefited by this empire that's been created? It's like, and it's like the same thing, what part of the United, the British people, or the even Britain per se as a nation benefited by what was created even earlier in 1688. But you did that, you actually were able to, you've been going there um, and I think that's a really breath of fresh air because it does give you a sense of the causal agency uh, behind that. I was hoping maybe you could say a little something more about the, uh, what, why is it that you think people can't see the British hand or they think the British Empire disappeared or what more you, you could say about uh, the British today as a, as a force? Well, as uh, you, you know, I've been, <laughs> this, is, this, this is stuff that's, well, obviously, you know, the Empire, uh, invests heavily into concealing itself. Yeah. They don't play out in the open. They they play through agents. And you know, in when when the British Empire was starting to implode at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century because they were constantly at war against everybody. And so, you know, it was it was always misery at home, mayhem abroad, always just so that a very narrow um, group of vested interests could extract wealth from this whole system when this whole thing started to implode they simply chose to uh infiltrate the united states and to co-opt its its own uh political system and to use the united states as their you know, military, diplomatic, um, and political muscle to continue building up their global empire. And they, in the process, they completely squandered the prosperity of the American people. They have, you know, I, I'm not going to say irreparably because that's not, I don't think that's the case, but they have gravely, gravely damaged the United States. And, you know, because of the way that they operate, you know, like 
we, we don't have an emperor anymore that's sitting on top of a pyramid that everybody can point to and say like that's who we got to get rid of they gave us this democracy they gave us elections they gave us this uh, dog and pony show where we think that okay well these guys are bad next year we're going to vote for the other guys and then everything's going to be great but you know and nothing ever changes the country is non-stop at war the country is is uh, you know every generation is less prosperous than the than the than the generation before them and uh, you know it's i think we can go along with this to our detriment or we can stop and think and say like where is this coming from we need to be able to um kind of deconstruct where this pathogenic dynamic originates from and if you do that inevitably you find that it originates from the from the international banking cartel which is headquartered in london so that's where it's coming from of course you know they have come to the united states they operate on wall street but I believe that still the, the, the main show is in the city of London. And you can see that even in today's event, you know, Russiagate was completely made in London, a uh, false flag operation, extremely, you know, extensive, but practically all the, all the important decisions, everything was done out of London. Uh, today, the war in Ukraine, you know, uh, when when it began very quickly, uh, the Ukrainians saw there was no point fighting. They saw that they were going to end up losing their country. So they were open to negotiations with the Russians. And the Russians, you know, not being out there to reestablish the Russian Empire, they said like, okay, so if you give up on joining the NATO, and if you uh, recognize Crimea as part of Russia, we withdraw completely and yeah and they had to also recognize the autonomy of the of the donetsk and lugansk oblasts right uh, russia was ready to completely pull out their troops from ukraine and the ukrainians were ready to sign this deal and then who flew into uh, kiev to scuttle the deal it was boris johnson the british prime minister and people still say like, oh, the Americans said the, uh, sent Boris Johnson's. Johnson. Why would the Americans send Boris Johnson? They, do, do they not have ambassadors in Kiev? Do they not have uh, Victoria Nuland? That, that would have been her, um, her thing. Do they not have Anthony Blinken? Uh, why would they send Boris Johnson of all people? They wouldn't. Boris Johnson went because London is running that show. Um, then you have NATO, right, where the United States is the sheriff in town. But because NATO is kind of like an inert organization consisting of 27 or is it 31 countries, whatever, um, the Brits were not really happy about this. So in 2017, they created a military pact with Poland. Both Britain and Poland are NATO countries so why did they need an extra military pact be between britain and poland it's not really explained 
but if you read from out of their statement, it's to act in a more agile way and to respond more nimbly to the challenges, blah, 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 blah. But basically, it's a pact to, to continue pursuing the British uh, foreign policy on Eurasian continent. And that policy is to destroy Russia and to use uh, whatever, Ukraine and, 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 and Poland and, and to, to, to wreak havoc and create quagmires and uh, weaken Russia in this way. And then in 2022, we also had another military pact between Britain, Poland and Ukraine. So that was signed in February 2022. And again, we see Britain acting. Kirk Bridge, uh, the attack on the Kirk Bridge, Britain is behind it. The attack of North Stream pipelines, Britain is behind it. So, you know, it is true that the United States is now the the main global police force and the you know the biggest power and you know maybe you know strongest in terms of democracy the, the diplomacy has nuclear you know a huge arsenal of nuclear weapons and so on and so forth so all of these facts are relevant but the actual parasite you know the actual parasite that has infected the mind of the west is the city of London. So I think that these recent years have only added more and more and more circumstantial evidence to support this idea. And I think that, you know, if we're going to get rid of our problems and solve them, we have to know what they are rather than, you know, going with the narrative and always barking up the wrong tree and always letting, always letting the, the evildoers get away with stuff. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very, <clears throat> very well said, uh, Alex. I, I agree on all fronts of everything that you just explained and and walked through. Um, in in your opinion, what what does that future economic model look like? That's transition transitioning away uh, from from the West. Uh, pretty uh, monumental changes occurring here pretty soon. We have um, uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, getting ready to meet with uh, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. And we know that the Saudis have expressed an interest in joining the BRICS. Uh, the BRICS have um, what I believe is their own type of payment systems that they're pretty much ready to deploy. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how does that impact uh, the West as we navigate what we're, we're kind of deeming the economic reset that's happening in real time right now? Yeah, I you know I've noticed that there's a there's there's actually quite a trend of nations one after another uh, turning to uh, the BRICS nations, turning to uh, Eurasian integrations, and applying to become become a member, applying to join, because, well, you know first of all, you know the. The 200 years of colonization by the West hasn't worked out really well for anybody. And I would, I, I would say it hasn't worked out too well for the West either. You know, some people, some people benefited from it, but most people didn't. Um, I think that the prospect of a, of a, of a new, um, new currency for the settlement of international trade an extremely promising prospect and I've also 
I've also heard that the, you know, Russian diplomats and maybe Chinese as well have kind of signaled to the nations of the global south that if they choose to join this trading block and to join the because you know the the new the new current the new trading currency would probably be uh, a product of a basket of other currencies of the participating nations backed by uh, commodities so you know whatever they produce and uh so the signal that was given to many nations is that if you join our trading block and you become part of the new this new uh, currency uh we will not penalize you if you choose to uh default on your debt obligations to western financial institutions and we will not penalize you if you decide to renationalize your renationalize your industries and your uh natural resources so you know on the one side you have the west which is squeezing harder and harder you know uh the the policy of the federal reserve bank which you know may you know the policy of fighting inflation by by reversing the quantitative easing process and and, and hiking interest rate i think that may be very justifiable but it's making the life very difficult for countries that have U.S. denominated debt. It's, I, I've got like, a, hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I almost feel bad chiming in because I, I lost my internet connection. Now I'm in a new room and I miss kind of the, the, the context of the conversation, but I can infer, oh. I can infer it. Oh, yeah. yeah no, man, you, you missed the best part. And <laughs> we need to start again. Let's start all over. <laughs> but I, I guess I, my question, I, I guess I don't want to derail your line of thought. So if you could like bring it back into uh, where you were going in, in case I am derailing it. If I am, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, but but we're both mutual friends with, with Tom Luongo. And I know you were on Tom's show a couple of times very recently even. And, and I was on uh, this week, too. Um, Tom has been um, hypothesizing that there is a patriotic, I, I guess you could say a patriotic um, uh, grouping within the U.S. banking sector, which is utilizing the current crisis as a way to pull the rug out of the out from under the feet of a lot of the, the great resetter types of centered in London and Brussels. And um, I, I have some personal misgivings regarding that thesis in the sense of seeing white hats or, or something with a noble impulse. I, I sort of see all of these creeps in the Federal Reserve community as kind of being ideologically unipolarist and, and kind of Malthusian. However, I'm open. I'm always open. And I'm curious to know, what, what's your take on, on Tom's uh, Tom's thought? Because he thinks that, that the lowering of the, or that the raising of the interest rates is actually a good thing. Um, yeah, ultimately. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. implying that a lot of that it's not necessarily that good. I, I don't think it's that good. What do you, what's your take more broadly on, on, on that analysis? Okay, so basically, I don't think, uh, first of all, I find Tom Luongo's uh, hypothesis very compelling. And I think that over the months, the events have been kind of proving him right. Now, I don't think that we should regard the Federal Reserve as the, as the good guys, as the white hats. But here's why they might uh, 
be diverging from the Davos set. Because the Great Reset and that whole crowd, the, you know, Klaus Schwab and whoever's on board on, the, on them, you know, London, Brussels, uh, ECB, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how, how the fault lines are drawn, but basically their plan is to uh, institute a global central bank issued digital currency, which would be issued by a single global central bank. And so the banking sector would be retired. It would be dismantled. We would all have, you know, digital wallets, digital accounts with this global central bank, which might be whatever, maybe Bank of International Settlements or uh, Bank of England or European Central Bank, whoever, doesn't matter. But basically, it would be, the arrangement would be kind of like the Soviets, what, what the Soviet ha Soviets had. Just one bank and everybody has an account with this one bank and that's it. So suddenly the people who own and control JP Morgan, Citigroup, uh, all these American banks might think like, wait a minute. So we're kind of, you know, the, <laughs> we're kind of super superfluous in this, in this equation. What becomes of us? We're not exactly on board with your agenda. So I think that for this reason, that the certain very powerful vested interests in the United States uh, have decided that they don't want to go along with this. Mm. So maybe they're using American financial strength and dominance with you know, the US dollar still being the global reserve currency to actually sink the, the Davos project, the Great Reset. And so in this sense, you know, not, not that they're being the good guys with white hats, but maybe in protecting a pragmatic. Uh, yeah, exactly. So by, 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 simply, by simply protecting their own interests, uh, they are, they've, they've, they've made themselves the enemy of the, of everybody's enemy, you know, because you know, the, the, the great resetters are absolute maniacs. Yeah, they are. The devious, evil, destructive maniacs. And so if if it's if it's the Fed, it's if it's the Federal Reserve and JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon who's going to inflict them the mortal wound, well, you know, it's uh I'll I'll get my popcorn and watch it happen. I'm not mm. I have a problem with that. Um, I made a comment about this this thing. It's pretty interesting. Luongo and I, we uh, we're kind of like two opposite ends of the spectrum. He's more of a uh, he used to work in petroleum as a petroleum trader. I worked in the commodity side of things. <clears throat> and today, I'm still with uh, very intertwined with the LBMA, London Bullion Market Association, as well as the SBMA, the uh, the Singapore Bullion Market Association. And on the digital asset side of things, on the institutional side, so not retail. Um, I've made a comment back in November 2021 where I said by summer of 2022, um, COVID is going to be gone. Uh, you're not going to hear about it anymore. It's going to be shelved. And uh, the dismantling of ESG is going to begin. BlackRock is going to start taking hits. 
Uh, a lot of the insurance companies are, are, are very upset with what's happening with the uh, GB jab that people are getting in there dropping dead. And that there's moves by JP Morgan, okay, uh, against BlackRock, against ESG, because they are not. And again, this also, it's pre- pretty weird. Me and Tom, we've never spoken, we've never met. But from my network, from the people that I speak with, one of the things is, is nobody in Wall Street, and I spent a lot of time in JPM's headquarters, a few people I've spoken to over there as well. Nobody in Wall Street, everybody hates the Davos crowd. Huh. They think Klaus Schwab is an idiot. They have a very, and that, that's putting it nicely, they have a very low view of Klaus Schwab. And one of the things that was said to, is, is, is that I said, <clears throat> this has nothing to do with good guys or bad guys. It has everything to do with interests. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. interests of Wall Street which is also the interests of, of at least 70% or so of the city of London, do not align with Davos. And um, there is a concerted move. And I said, you know, and I also said back in November 2021, and CJ could vouch for this in the audience as well, watch what happens to BlackRock. BlackRock has had massive losses within the last several months. It's only going to compound going into um, uh, 2023. Yeah. So it's interesting to see all of this happening, guys. It really is from the financial side of things, from a re- from a from an, from an institutional side of things. It's remarkable. Well, yeah, I'll just add one little thing to that. I, I was just on the phone today with a friend of mine who's a client at BlackRock, and he was telling me about a huge rebellion of the 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 clients of BlackRock who are all realizing they they thought they were in it for for business and capitalism. They 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 were they that's why they were in the game. Yeah. Was to, you know, a lot of some of them actually care about their investments in Russia. They actually like infrastructure. They want to see things being created. Yeah. Other ones just want to make money. But now they're realizing that that BlackRock is screwing everybody over. They're not in it for capital gains or anything like that. They're, they're in it to for an ideological purpose it that is. has nothing to do with capitalism or anything right. of the sort or making money. Uh, they're and flushing let, everybody. And let me tell you how stupid BlackRock yeah. is. BlackRock would own majority shares in some very large insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And they'll also hold shares in very large pharmaceutical companies. And what is occurring is that the, these pharmaceutical companies, like uh, that I can't mention because we're on you know YouTube, uh, they make the jibby jab. <laughs> and people are dropping dead from the jibby jab. And we've known that people that are uh, young men between the ages of 18 to 52, there's been a, a, a 40% spike in deaths. And the insurance companies are hopping up. They're like, we don't want to pay this out. And what's happening is that BlackRock's facing facing a problem where, hey, uh, one side of our business is eating the other side of our business. They really didn't think that through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, that's I think that's a very important point. They they really didn't think a lot of this stuff through, and I think that not only is it losing all coherence on the on the on the narrative side, on the ideological side. It's also falling apart in the in, in in how how the things were meant to work out, how they how they planned or failed to plan plan for for things to work out. So I think it's uh, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing collapses. But you know, unfortunately, it's going to be an ugly show. They're not going to go quietly. Yeah. And the, the problem is this: we're so deindustrialized. Number one, right? There's nothing here. You know, when you when you when you offshore an in- industry, you not only boot the factory from your shore that manufactures the product and the service that you need, 
but the knowledge, the know-how, the technology, and the legacy, the native legacy that you need to, co- to, to continue that is also gone. So we're in a very unique situation. We don't know. We can't build anything. And I think Matthew had the best analogy. He said, America is a house on fire, and Russia and China, a.k.a. Eurasia, is the water that could put it out. And so eloquently said, we're in a big, big problem here. And the thing that I always tell to the audience is this. Don't worry about Western leaders coming out with some evil plan to, to, to put you in concentration camps. Worry more about what they break because you're dealing with some of the most idiotic group of people on God's green earth. Amen. I think CJ had a, uh, a thought. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it speaks volumes into why the, uh, uh, the, the investment dollars in terms of what's happening into industries are so tied into the political spectrum. Because if you look at the past 20 years, every bit of different economies and where federal spending is going is directly into certain industries. If we look at the George Bush era, it was into the military industrial complex, shifted into the Obama era, where it was, you know, derived into other different industries, healthcare sector that was bailed out with funds that weren't supposed to be sent over there when he passed, passed his Obamacare and and into even into uh, Trump when Trump era, whenever we witnessed the uh, the the rollback of what was going to be deemed as far as the, the the cutbacks the the tax relief that was supposed to be spent in regards to reindustrializing the United States and all it did was basically stock buybacks it's a, it's a certain level of corruption corruption that has has occurred and, and it continues where now we see the merger in the United States of of basically these huge financial institutions that are in bed with that write basically write policies. They write spending bills in, in the future. And that's why the political outcomes is so important. And and maybe why even I misread this election cycle, because I think right now a house divided potentially could disrupt the financial mechanisms and the stream of, of, of money flowing into what they want by having a divided house Senate from the executive office of the presidency. Maybe they wanted to streamline that because they realize that Right now, they can't shut off the flow of, of, of printing money um, into certain industries that's taking place. My question is this, is that, let's face it, banks don't have the ability to create debt. That, that, that comes from the repos, that comes from certain economic levers that are there. So in the hints of the, the WEF, the World, World Economics Forum, in terms of Davos crowd, Part of my thought process is that they're pushing this green agenda. They're pushing this 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 shift that they want us to go through, this reset. And are they leveraging Ukraine to do that by perhaps purposely polluting the sector of fossil fuels? Are they making it, you know, they 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 did a, they achieved a lot with with um, the COVID era, you know. And so now are they leveraging at creating a crisis um, that's going to be benefit them by forcing us into this this pivot towards green, the green economy? That's our future. Like a lot of countries were, were not receptive to it, but now they're kind of forcing it to forcing us to because of of, of raising in, of everything from fossil fuels to to um, uh, to just basically, you know, you know, farming everything that they're waging for, are they forcing us to this, this green economy and their future of what they want by raising the prices and making us basically come to our knees 
across across many countries right now. We're it, it's very it's 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 very challenging, and I think that they they're forcing their agenda upon humanity right now. Okay, I'll go. Um, I think I, I I I think you're right about everything that you said, but they are also getting a lot of unintended consequences because you know you can force um, the political leadership. You know you can spend money with your think tanks to you know contrive justifications for it all. It's all necessary so wonderful it's you know we're going to have clean high-tech world and blah 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 all of that but in reality you know when people are looking at the prospect of being hungry and of freezing during the winter in their in their in their homes because there's no natural gas for heating then you get massive political opposition. So we can, if we just, if we just talk about Germany, for example, you know, we saw that last week. Chancellor Schultz went to China. And you know, the talking points were everything you might expect. You know, they went to China to press China on human rights and be nice to the Uyghurs and don't support Russia and blah 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 and you know, like so they they gave us the facade of you know germany lecturing china about human rights and about you know not supporting russia in their attack in ukraine and all of that however in reality you know uh there were there were 100 german corporations who have petitioned to join uh, schultz on his trip and 12 12 corporations were accepted as part of the delegation I think that's a very powerful pressure group there who wants good relationship with China and with Russia, by the way, you know, because, you know, the, the, the $20 billion that Germany buys from Russia in terms of natural gas uh, supports $2 trillion of German industrial value added. So you have a very, very powerful lobby that is exerting pressure on the government to not go along with this insane collective suicide that's dictated by by the Davos crowd. And at the same time, they're making the common front with the labor unions. Because, you know, like if industry goes, the, the jobs go as well. So for once, the industrialists and the labor unions have found themselves on the same side, wanting the same things. They want to keep their jobs. They want to keep their industries intact and profitable. They want the freaking energy from Russia. They, they don't care where it comes from. They, want, they need the energy. Otherwise, they all go bust and they starve and they freeze. Yep. So, you know, like what these uh, devious lunatic ideologues in Davos have planned is so onerous on everybody else that the pressures as the farther this goes the more the pressures are going to mount to 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 oppose it and then there's there's another factor in the whole equation you know now the russians have taken the gloves off and they've they've so far with their with their uh, missile strikes destroyed more than 40 percent of ukraine's um 
energy uh, energy infrastructure right. so now ukrainian people are looking to the winter of freezing and starving and not having water and not having power and and so forth and so so so, so on and so there's probably as we speak already there's probably millions of people in ukraine who are thinking screw this we can't survive here over the winter let's go to poland let's go to germany let's go to france so you're going to get another massive wave of refugees and already in september we had leaked documents out of germany uh, suggesting that germany was already coming apart at the seams with the with the with the weight of refugees that are already there and now you're going to get a couple million more it's these are these are going to be dramatic dramatic changes mm-hmm. and so the 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 agenda may have looked enticing to some of these people when when the, when it was right written on paper when they produced their little presentations that they deliver in davos and their little you know sophisticated discussion between all these clever successful wealthy people but then you know when 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 the reality hits home and you have to kind of coerce hundreds of millions of ordinary people to go along with this mm-hmm. well then you get like a tsunami that's going to sweep you sweep you away because it's it's too big it, you can't you can't control it by lying to people you know like you can't tell people that everything is nice if they're if if, if they're freezing in their home you can't tell them that insects are, are are a really good good way to to feed your children yeah <laughs> here you go jimmy have a cricket <laughs> yeah yeah exactly stop crying stop, stop crying, crying. Stop eat your crickets this is your last cricket. <laughs> I'll be I'll be brief, but one real quick. One of the things I perhaps misread was um, the uh, uh, the explosions of Nord Stream One and Nord Stream Two was more of attack on Germany than it was on Russia. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And and um, so I'm I'm curious, uh, Alex, as to your thoughts in regards to Schultz meeting with Xi Jinping, because you would think that. The Germans, you'd mentioned that there was a conglomerate of, of uh, businesses that that went along with that. You you would think that the Germans would be more uh, upset about that and be uh, so. So was that meeting with Xi Jinping to say, hey, we we know what's going on. We're, we, we need to pivot away from the the EU. We're trying to figure how to navigate through that. What, what, what are your thoughts? What, what are the German people thinking right now? I uh, I do believe so, CJ, and and you know like the 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 facade appearance of the whole thing was very much to the standard, you know, to the community standards of the Western mainstream media. Okay, so everything good, you know, Germany has a you know strong trade with China, so they went there to talk about trade, and they also went there to pressure China on human rights. Fine, you know, uh, sold. The reason why I think that what you just suggested is correct is because, A, we saw a very serious grumbling uh, within the German cabinet uh, from, from, uh, from his coalition partners who are complaining that Olaf Scholz is uh, running the show like an autocrat, that he has uh, usurped the foreign policy the foreign policy of Germany, you know, Annalena Baerbock was in where in Tajikistan or somewhere. 
and she took the occasion of that visit to criticize uh, Olaf Scholz and to proclaim that Germany has has to have a new strategy versus China. It has to be more assertive, and you know all of these neocon uh, idiotic ideas where you know now Germany is supposed to go and punch above its weight and teach Chinese about human rights and democracy. Obviously, that's not going to work. And then the second the second reason why I think that's what's really going on is because. On Wednesday last week, Turkey's president uh, Erdogan went on Turkish TV and uh, gave an interview. And among other things, he said that, you know, things are changing. And look, even the German chancellor has changed his mind in the last month. And he's looking to find common language with Vladimir Putin in Russia. So, Erdogan, who has been an extremely important interlocutor between, you know, Russia and the West, uh, and who's probably extremely well informed, has said that Olaf Scholz had a change of heart with regards to Russia and Ukraine and, you know, Nord Stream and all these things. And I, well, in the end, uh, in 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 his in his in, in his article. Three days ago, four days ago, Pepe Escobar, who, is, who has generally been quite well informed as well, said the same thing. He suggested the same thing, and it's not difficult to see why. You know, the the the, the overwhelming interests of the German society, of the German business, of the German industry, of the German people, is to mend ties with Russia, to get that gas flowing to restart the industry, to, to have their, you know, to hit their homes, to not lose their jobs, to not have a massive trade deficit suddenly for, for a nation that has been an exporting superpower in the world for, for, for decades. And so I think all of these interests inevitably will create political pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see what happens because, you know, Olaf Scholz, already went into this as a very weak chancellor. And I think that, you know, his, his, his green Taliban there, the, you know, Annalena Barbok and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the economy minister, Robert Habeck, they are like proper Bolsheviks, you know. Oh, they're, absolutely, man. They are. And maniacs. So, so they're maniacs. And so we'll see who beheads whom, you know, whose political career is going to be cut short. But for sure, you know, even if they get, even even if they get rid of Olaf Scholz, all of those pressures that are stemming from real economic interests and social interests and political interests of the German people are not going to go away. You can remove Scholz, but you still have mm-hmm. German people wanting that, wanting that, natural gas from Russia and wanting those Ukrainians to go back to where they came from, you know, rather than rather than being in their country, which is already in a deep crisis. So I, I think I, I think, you know, um, it's going to get harder and harder and harder for the globalist uh, to keep their agenda 
alive. I, I think we're at the stage of King Canute flogging the waves to stem the tide, but the tide is gathering and it's going gonna, it's gonna to sweep them out like a tsunami in the end. Well said. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Alex, and I, I really appreciate your, uh, your sober common sense assessment of the situation and especially your, the, your appreciation for the the self-contradictions inherent in oligarchical systems past or present, you know, like the oligarchy always operates from a very ivory tower standpoint and things that look good on paper when you apply like formulas, you could have a very elegant, pretty symmetrical formula, you know, but what, what how do you know if it's based upon any principles of reality or not? Some, you know, you got to test it out. You got to put it into action and reality will tell you very quickly whether your formula just looks pretty or whether it's valid. And dishonest people who are more committed to their formula will simply gloss over the errors. Or they'll, first of all, I guess, try never never to put it into an experiment to never test it. But then when they when it is tested, they will just try to ignore all of the, the points that it breaks down. And the oligarchy is really good at ignoring the fact that they've been trying this formula to, to you know, and the formula is essentially, you know, from what I could tell, going back to you know thousands of years the common theme of oligarchs is that they're always animated by this belief that you could get humanity to to be to believe that we are just these talking cows happy to eat cud and stay away from the electric fences in our brain or around our <laughs> around our brain <laughs> and, <laughs> and if we could just do that and and have you know this crystallized order of master slave society would would just arise and the oligarchs would just be happy having their orgies in their castles unchallenged forever and the the happy cows that are permitted to not be culled will just be happy eating the and maybe they'll have orgies with their cows who knows hey, they, <laughs> hey we're talking about davos here man <laughs> hey we're gonna we're gonna have insect barbecues <laughs> like, uh, eat some insects and uh... <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, yeah, but reality never works that way, and they're 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 completely incapable of of reevaluating or changing gears based on um, provable fallacies in their own systems uh, wiring, and so they're just repeating. You know, every time that they achieve kind of what they want, they're kind of good at, at keeping secrets and manipulation. There's this whole science of mind manipulation that they've honed, you know, and and, and that's tied to cultural emotional components too because the mind and the emotions play together, right? So they're sensitive to certain things that can be tweaked in a, in a form of, of, you know, sort of hypnotic techniques used, you know, uh, by the so-called elites. And they're good at that. But as soon as they, they come close to achieving what they want, they always create a mess that blows up and undermines their own existence too. It happens every time. Um, so it seems like today we're at a situation where we can't really tolerate too much more of that with nuclear weapons littered, littered all over the earth. There's 8 billion of us now, way more than we've ever had before. So like the, 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 the degree of permitted error that we'd formerly been able to tolerate for thousands of years isn't really there so much. But the fact that, like you, you pointed out, you know, you, you could convince somebody is for, for a while that they're a fish and happy to live underwater and not breathe oxygen. And maybe for a while, for the first maybe, you know, minute or two, you could get away with that. But at a certain point, as much as that person, human being, thinks that they're a fish, at, at a certain point, when two, three minutes are going by, they're going to find themselves uh, grasping for something that they thought that they didn't they didn't need, air oxygen. 
and the oligarchy is is really, you know, I, I think they've been capitalizing off of their, or they've been getting arrogant for a long time off of their their apparent power and apparent stability unchallenged. And now that the system is actually coming to a grinding halt, and people are now forced to confront the fact that you need you need food, <laughs> not bugs. You need energy and electricity. You need a world that's not blowing up, destroying your kids' lives. People are in, intuitively business interests who had formerly been happy to go along with a corrupt system are now realizing, no, this is not compatible with their existence. Uh, yeah. I, I can't live with this new set of rules. And so all sorts of nonlinear things are, are awakening right now. And we can't really predict what they're all going to look like. But it's it's definitely in a situation where the oligarchy, I think, is increasingly going to find their their controls diminishing in, in many ways. Which also makes them more dangerous too, I and mean, that's that's not a comfortable thing either. In some ways, yeah, it's a dark. Yeah, true. And I I think one very important thing to Aww, point out is, as a as a as a question <laughs> of principle, you know, is that you know, like human society is a, is an organic thing. We are part of nature. We're we're you know we're, we are biological agents, right? Hmm. So. It, it should stand to reason that we have to operate in accordance with with nature, with natural laws. And in nature, intelligence agency always comes bottom up. You know, I mean, even even in in large colonies like termites and ants that have a queen that kind of to an extent runs the place. The it's the individual ants that give form to their you know to their habitats and their termite mines, mounds, whatever you have. And this is one of the universal principles in nature that intelligence agency always acts bottom up. And these oligarchies always want to force their solutions top down. So they contrive these plans, which look really nice until they implement them. But when you implement them and they have to affect millions upon millions upon millions of people, and even they have to be executed through a very extensive uh, hierarchy, you know, that has to carry out all those plans. You realize that you cannot control a complex system and you can't plan a complex system because you can't predict every reaction to every change at every node. Yeah. You know, you're, you're inevitably dealing with something that you can never predict and never plan. So top-down solutions always end up crumbling and turning into something that maybe nobody even intended. And it's bottom-up solutions where, you know, you, you build up things that are consistent with the intentions of where it's coming from. You know, like you're building solutions to the problem being felt by individuals on the ground. And then those solutions maybe become incorporated into larger solutions and so forth. But, it, you know, like the driving initiative and the driving creativity has to come bottom up. And, you know, the farther you force this, the more these people who are insisting on their on their agendas and plans seem as dumb as they seem because, you know, they 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 have to reject a lot of reality to keep thinking what they're thinking. And so, you know, like if you listen to Charles Klaus Schwab, yeah. he really seems like a positive 
dumb idiot. He's, he's, painful. he's painful to listen. Have you, have you read his book? No, I haven't. I, <laughs> it's the most stupidest thing you'll ever read. I swear <laughs> it was written read, by a high school read kid. Read I read it? I had to put it down. It was written by some high school kid, man. It, it's so stupid. It, yeah, it, there, no, you no, there you go. It's these fanciful ideas, like something from like a marketing department in Silicon Valley would make, right? It's these crazy fanciful ideas with like all these big fancy words. We're looking for a spectral uh, achievement and 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 a re- it's just marketing terminology and, and and outright bullshit. It makes no sense. It only can come from the mind of someone who spent so much time in academia, never created, built anything in his life. It's terrible. It's a horrible thing. They come like this guy's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And 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 now and now they're trying to put it into practice. It doesn't even work as a book. How's it gonna work as a? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the icing on the cake. Yep. That's good. Exactly. Matthew, thank you so much for uh, arranging this interview with Alex. Um, really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. I was, I was super happy that uh, Alex. I mean, I, I love listening to Alex. Uh, there's always surprising wisdom, and, and not even surprised. I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but just wonderful insights. And uh, yeah, we should do this more often, Alex. This is really Absolutely. good. Absolutely, with with great pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, always, I'll always be happy to jump on a call, uh, when, when, uh, when invited. What are you doing later on tonight, Alex? No, just kidding. <laughs> He's like six um, hours ahead of us, CJ. He's going to sleep. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's past my bedtime. Yeah. Uh, you don't, you don't get to look like this at 82 years of age. <laughs> you joked me earlier, Alex. So I had to get you back. <laughs> yeah. I look, I can't, I can never resist a prank. I can yeah. never resist a prank. <laughs> Alex, we got to have you on more often and please check your telegram more often. <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, okay. So just, I have to say this. I'm on Telegram. I'm on Signal. I'm in many WhatsApp groups. But you don't check any of them. So, (laughs) no, see what happens is that because there's so much stuff going on, um, my telephone like buzzes literally every two seconds. And I had to, I had to switch off Uh. all the... um, Notifications. I had to switch off all the notifications. Yeah. So now I only see messages if I go and check them. Sure. Unfortunately, but no, it's a I, good move. It's a good move. A notification, it just goes like beam, 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 yeah, nonstop. That's annoying. <laughs> and so that's yeah. And then you know, it's even hard to say what what's important, what's not important, what what I should look at and not look at. And and so in the it end, it becomes a distraction. Like, all all the notifications becomes a distraction. Yeah, like, like a permanent nonstop distraction. Yeah, so I agree. I'm, I'm sorry if I, but you know, uh, I I always check my email. So if you know, like, if I if, if you send me an email, I'll I'll I'll, I'll almost certainly see that. Definitely. Excellent. Right, we'll we'll reach you that way. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Matt, Guys, thank, thank you for setting you. us up. Thank you very much, and uh, until the next time. Definitely. Have a great night. God bless. Take care, guys. Cheers.